Hello, everybody. Uh, happy Easter once again. And uh, I would add to that last announcement, uh, you, I love all the messages that you've been sending me on Facebook or Instagram as well. So you can keep those coming. It does uh, go a long way in making what can feel so disconnected feel more connected. So uh, you can send them to the church. You can send them to me too. And let's just uh, let's keep uh, as connected as we can in the midst of this time. Uh, I'm just going to pray and then uh, we'll just jump into what the Lord has to say to us tonight and into the, into the river with him of what he's been speaking even the, over these, these last weeks. So Jesus, I thank you uh, that you're with us, that your presence is here, and we ask that that would even increase. And we ask that you would walk into living rooms right now. You're already there. You're already here with us. But we ask that your presence would increase and that you would speak your peace unto us and that you'd actually awaken us, God, that you'd do a, a, an inner work inside your bride this evening, and that you would stir our hearts, God. You'd invite us into a new grace, God, that you'd actually gift us with something new tonight that we have not yet tasted of, and we pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So I'll do a little recap of where we've been the last uh, few weeks and then just jump into what the Lord wants to say tonight. And, you know, two weeks ago we talked about a rhythm of life and these six daily practices, which uh, I hope you're still engaging with these in some form. And I know some are adapting and, and that's fine, but, you know, really trying to build disciplined practice into our spirituality in this time as we've been given more space uh, to do so. Uh, and then last week was on consolation and desolation and uh, how we actually have to learn to pursue God with the same faithfulness when the feelings aren't there as we do when the feelings are there. And, you know, it's, there was a fitting message leading into Good Friday, which was the ultimate desolation. You know, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, you know, and then he he raises from the dead, and then he comes and begins consoling his disciples. And so, really, all this to say is, I believe that what's happening right now, uh, it, God is just moving. This is a Cairo season, and there's a lot going on inside all of us. And if you know you're like me, these have been fairly turbulent weeks, and that's not all bad. It's been good. I feel like each week's held so much. It's like each day has had different challenges, different lessons. I've had these deep places with God and also like these deep places of struggle and frustration and like what is going on. And it's because it's a Kairos season. And in Kairos moments, things that can take years, can take months, can take weeks, can take days. Like God's favor uh, is profound. And one day of favor can accomplish more than uh, 10,000 days of our own labor. And so these are days of Cairo, uh, Cairo season and days of profound grace. And it is not an accident that we are now into Easter. And we had a good Friday experience. Hopefully you enjoyed that in some way. And, and now today is Easter that we're celebrating that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And I want to talk tonight actually about both Easter morning 
and Easter evening. And I want to bring us into the full discipleship experience that Jesus was discipling, even in his death and resurrection. He's always discipling. He's shaping us. He's an incredible leader. And he's discipling his followers very, very intentionally through the whole Easter experience. And so Good Friday, he dies. We, we have to sit and Sabbath for a day and a half from Friday evening until Sunday morning. And Jesus raises from the dead Sunday morning. And we, you know, have the, where Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and then John and Peter run to the tomb and he's not here and they encounter the angels and he begins showing up, right? And there's this great hope of the resurrection. And the first thing I want to talk about is that Easter morning is about hope. Easter morning is about God demonstrating that there is nothing in this world that should ever steal our hope because our hope is not to be derived from our circumstances. Our hope is actually derived relationally from a person named Jesus who resurrected from a Roman crucifixion. All right, this is Jesus showing like you don't have, like hope is alive, right? And the problem that we have in Western culture today is that hope is not really a, a sacred word. It's a secular word. And hope is thrown around all the time. Like, you know, I hope that happens. I hope the stark market comes back. I hope, I hope, I hope that it's 75 and sunny tomorrow, right? Like, we, all, we, we throw out hope like it's this, honestly, it's this passive, weak, sissy word. It has no power. It has no conviction. And so when we say Easter morning is a morning of hope, we, we sometimes fail to grasp the depth of what that means because we don't quite understand what hope means as a culture, right? Hope is not wishful thinking, right? Wishful thinking, that form of hope, human hope, is actually what jades us and it makes us like a lot of people say, well, I, I don't want to get my hopes up because then I'll get disappointed, Right? How many of you just raise your hand, let people in the room see, right? I don't want to get my hopes up because then I'm going to get disappointed. That is not the hope of heaven, right? Hope is the confident expectation that God's goodness is coming your way, right? Hope is this, this, it's this abounding hope that possesses your soul, that you're literally looking, where is God's goodness coming to me today? Because he is unfailingly good because my hope is not derived from my circumstances. My hope is derived from a person, right? And, and the, the language that I could help kind of clarify for this is that Oftentimes when we're immature in our walk with God, immature in our faith, we express our faith horizontally instead of vertically. Meaning we put our faith in an outcome taking place and then our hope is derived from faith because faith is actually the foundation of hope that arises from. So if I put my faith, right? Faith puts all my eggs in one basket, right? And if that doesn't fall, if that, if, that, if that basket falls through, then my hope is shattered. I'm disappointment, disappointed and I don't know what to do with it. Right? But true hope and, and, and vertical faith, which is the mature faith, it's faith in who God is. And when we put faith in who God is, it then creates this abounding hope that can't be shaken. Right? The reason Easter is the morning of hope is because we can put our faith that Jesus rose from the dead. If we actually believe that Jesus Jesus Christ rose from the dead on Sunday morning after being scourged and crucified Friday night, then we have no reason to ever live a life that's anything less than abounding hope. If
if we believe that the very worst of human suffering, injustice, shame, pain, beating, brutality, abuse, the abuse of power, he was betrayed, everything went wrong for Jesus and he rose from the dead. Right? If we believe that Jesus Christ rose from that and he turned that hellhole into the goodness that transformed the whole world, which is what we just sang, our souls will, will abound with hope. We will hope that God is good. And as Romans 8 says, he will turn all things to the good of those who love God. So Easter is about anchoring in vertical faith and then abounding in hope. Easter is an invitation that says, because faith puts its, you know, say, I believe that's going to happen. I believe that's going to happen, right? Faith puts an expression, but hope is behind faith and says, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that God is good. I don't know how this will work out. I don't know what's going to happen with coronavirus. I don't know how long we're going to be quarantined. I don't know where my financial situation is. I don't know what my job's going to look like. I don't know anything, but I don't need to know. I may have my faith that believes certain things and certain outcomes, but I have hope as an anchor for my soul that is unshakable because it is rooted in the reality that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so if he rose from the dead, it doesn't matter what's happening in my circumstances. Goodness is going to come my way. We are called as Christians to live a life of abounding hope. We right now should be beacons of hope, lighthouses in the midst of the storm that say, look at me and steady yourself because God is good and his goodness is coming to me and his goodness is going to bear fruit on our behalf. God is good. That is what hope says. Hope prophesies in every situation. Look to the good. See the good. If it's not good, it's not the end because God is good and in the end it will always be good. He is a redeemer. He is a restorer. He brings beauty from ashes, joy from mourning, praise out of heaviness. He brings life out of dead. Hope, 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 hope in God. Right? This is the unshakable anchor for our soul. It is not wishful thinking. We're called to live rooted and grounded in a hope that is powerful and it fuels us. Right? Like a little child, when they wake up on Christmas morning, they are full of hope because they just have a conviction that because year after year, the habitual pattern is I wake up on Christmas and I have presents coming my way. Right? That's Christmas morning is a morning of hope, right? The re we as Christians are called to live with that kind of hope. We should wake up in the morning with this conviction. I don't know where, I don't know how, but I know goodness is coming on my behalf. Even in the face of a corona pandemic, even in the face of joblessness, even in the face of financial crisis, even in the face of sickness, even in the face of all the uncertainty, even in the face of mixed expectations, even in the face of whatever life throws at you, I am full of hope because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And if God can turn that to good, he can turn any of my circumstances to good. Can I get an amen? So Easter morning is about hope. Vertical faith and abounding hope. These are an unshakable anchor for our lives. And we need hope to be an unshakable anchor in our life because life is full of calamity. 
We're living through a national global calamity right now, but the truth is that God is the God of hope right in the midst of calamity. God abounds in hope in every single situation. God sees with hope glasses on. He doesn't see negativity. God sees life. He sees with hope-filled vision. Right in Jeremiah 31, you know, one of the most famous verses when he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for a future and a welfare, for hope, right? For hope and a future. God is prophesying hope in the very midst of calamity, right? And the truth is that, uh, you know, the reason that there was calamity is because Israel had fallen away from God, Israel had fallen into sin. Israel had begun worshiping all kinds of other gods, worshiping all kinds of other idols. Israel had turned their back on God. And so, uh, even still, in the midst of this, God's prophesying hope. He's saying, I know the plans I have for you. And at the same time, calamity is taking place. I, I believe this is a very similar context for Easter this year. God is prophesying hope. Because Jesus rose from the dead. He wants to inject us with hope this Easter in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of calamity, right? He wants to fill us with hope. And it's very interesting, at the end of Chronicles, uh, this is one of the most uh, pertinent verses that talk about the exile of Israel. And it says this, I, I came across this years ago. The Lord highlighted it to my spirit this morning. It said that those who escaped, so this is speaking of the Babylonian exile. It said those who had escaped from the sword, Nebuchadnezzar carried away to Babylon, and they were servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the promised land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation, it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. It's fascinating that God sends Israel to exile until the land has Sabbath restored to it. Right, so Israel had received the promised land inheritance, but they turned it to an idol and they'd begin worshiping. And the land was very much tied to their economy, to their financial security, to their, to, to their own vocational call as Israelites. They were the people of the land. And so the very thing that God had given as their inheritance, they had abused and made idolatrous worship in the land. They had uh, made idols and sacrifices, but it also speaks to that they had failed to Sabbath. They had rejected the rhythm of God's worship for their lives and instead had acted in independence in their own rebellious ways. They had abused the land. They had overworked the land and overworked themselves and neglected Sabbath. I believe that this is such a picture of the American culture. Right? America has rejected the Sabbath and that is very poignantly related to the financial culture of this nation, to the market, to, to all the busyness and the muchness and the manyness that we have addicted ourselves to as, as American Christians. And I believe that God, uh, in, in the same way that the land needed to restore its Sabbath, God is wanting to restore Sabbath to his people in this time, in this Easter. So just like as God would prophesy to Israel, I'm, I know the plans, I have hope for you, 
right? In the, in the same way, he's prophesying hope in the midst of calamity. I believe this Easter, God is prophesying hope in the midst of calamity. He's prophesying hope. He's trying to restore things. He's trying to restore the Sabbath. He's trying to restore us individually and corporately into the rhythm of worship that he's called us to live as his people, right? He's trying to turn us from our wicked ways. He's trying to turn our nation from, from all this idol worship and this addiction to manyness and muchness and busyness and overproductivity. But even in the midst of the calamity, God says, I know the plans I have for you. They're for future and a hope, right? So Easter morning is about hope. We have to be rooted and understand that God is good and he's going to turn everything to the good of those who love him. He's going to turn this all better than you can imagine. He's going to resurrect the dead things and bring you a five-fold recompense, seven-fold recompense beyond what you can even ask or imagine, but there is still calamity going on. There is still things going on in the land, and this is not the end of the Easter story. Easter morning wasn't the end of this story. It wasn't the end of Jesus's leadership for his followers, and so he comes to them in the evening. He comes to them in the evening of Easter. He walks into the room, right? So the morning, he's awakening hope that he's alive from the dead, but in the evening, he walks into the room and he says, peace be unto you. As the Father is sending, has sent me, I'm sending you. Right? And then in, in another passage in, in Luke, there's a few different ones here. He tells them that they're going to have to wait and tarry in Jerusalem until they're clothed with power on high, from on high. Right? So when he speaks peace unto you, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking of the spirit of peace that rested on him that the Father anointed him with the Spirit and then sent him to the world. He comes to his disciples who are hiding in the upper room because they're still afraid and says, peace be unto you. As the Father sent me, anointed me and sent me, I'm going to send you. But you need to wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. Right, so he's saying, I have a greater dispensation of grace that I want to put on you. I have more anointing that I need to give to you, right? They had, they had healed people, the disciples. He'd sent them out twice. He had healed, they had healed, they had preached the gospel, they had delivered people, right? So they were, they were good Christians. They were mature Christians. They were ministry leaders at this point. And yet Jesus says, wait, I need you to wait, right? And this is implying, I, I want you to catch this here, is that the disciples did not, Easter didn't hit home for the disciples until they had tarried. They, they didn't understand fully the Easter message. They were still hiding in fear until the day of Pentecost. Right? They were not gripped with the revelation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The hope of Easter morning hadn't yet filled their heart completely. They, it, it didn't cognate yet in their minds until the Spirit clothed them with power from on high on the day of Pentecost. But between Easter and Pentecost, they had to wait. They had to wait on the Lord. They had to tarry in prayer to seek what Jesus had promised. All right, so Jesus is longing. I believe right now, this is, this is so contextualized. This is so pertinent to what's happening right now, right? We want Easter morning to be the end of the story. Like President Trump said, we're going back to work on Easter, right? We want the quick fix. We want it to be done. This would be perfect. And no, no, Easter is just the beginning. It's, it's the leaven. It's the mustard seed. 
for the disciples and it is for us this year. Jesus has hope for us. He is doing something more significant right now than we ask or we can even imagine. There is so much hope. He's saying, I'm going to turn a global pandemic into, the, into, into a movement of the spirit of God saving souls. I'm gonna use a, a disease from hell to actually catalyze a, a harvest for heaven, right? That is, what, that is why we're a people of hope. <laughs> he turned the Roman cross into an, a symbol of hope that hangs on the most expensive steeples all over this planet. God turns the terrible things of life into powerful symbols of life and hope. That is what Easter prophesies. And so right now, we need to see that all this happening, and I'm sure personally, this looks different for all of you. It looks different for me, but it's been hard for me, and I'm sure it's been hard for you, and it may get more difficult before it gets better, but this is the truth. God is going to turn all of this to an exceedingly abundantly, into an eternal weight of glory that makes all of this look like nothing when we look back on this years from now, right? That is what Easter morning tells us. But Jesus in Easter evening says, I need to give you more of my spirit. There are things in me that you are lacking. You need to wait. You need to tarry in Jerusalem until you have been clothed with power from on high. You know, one of the things that I have seen it's been striking to me uh, in, through my years of ministry in the church is that there is great insecurity over the topic of being clothed, filled, possessed by the Spirit of God. There, there, there's this a lot of insecurity around the topic of do I have it, do I ha not have it? And I don't want to get into that because I, I think like everyone that has been born again as a Christian has the Holy Spirit. Right? That is not the question if you have the Holy Spirit or not. It is how much of the Holy Spirit? How much have you emptied yourself out so that you can be consumed by him, right? And the disciples had healed people. They had delivered demons. They had seen more signs and wonders than probably most of us listening. And yet Jesus says, you need to tarry. You need to wait here until you have been clothed with power from on high, right? How do you know if you've been clothed with power from on high? Because power exudes from your life. That is how you know you've been clothed with power. Because power exudes from your life. Right? We have been designed that we can only function and do what we were created to do in God. If we've been clothed with power from on high, but between Easter and being clothed with power, the disciples had to wait. And I'd like to advocate that the reason that they could wait and tarry was because that they were full of hope. And I want to speak to you this morning that you need to have hope this evening. You need to have hope. You need to have hope that God is doing something right now that's bigger than what you can imagine. That God is doing something right now in these days that this actually is a Cairo season for you. There's hope within you. Your spirit within you is yearning for what God is desiring to give you from heaven. And all of this, but, but this is the thing, we have to tarry. We have to tarry for it. And tarrying, I like it more than waiting. That's the old English word for the translation. Tarrying, it implies an activeness, right? Waiting is not passive. Waiting is highly active. Waiting is an intense experience. Waiting is very deliberate, right? Waiting would be similar to a hunter waiting in a blind for the game to pass by. 
right? And I, I know, I've known stories of hunters, people that will spend weeks and weeks scouting the game before they're even out hunting the game. And when they go to hunt the game, they don't shower, right? Sometimes I've heard that they'll literally uh, cover themselves in urine to hide their scent, and they won't shower, and their wives will be very upset because they smell so terrible, right? And they will leave early in the morning, and they'll hike mountainsides, and they'll sit up the spot based on all of their, of all of their tracking. And they, right, there's so much that goes into to the, just the point where they finally get in that blind, right? And when they get in the blind, what are they doing? They are intently gazing, waiting for the game to pass by, right? So when Jesus says you need to tarry, in Jerusalem, he's saying, I want you to intently focus yourself on one thing. I need you to be so positioned to receive what I'm desiring to give you. I want to clothe you with the spirit of the living God, with power from on high, so that power will exude forth from your life, the power to transform the world. But we have to wait. We have to wait. We have to learn to wait on the Lord, right? Easter didn't hit home for the disciples until they tarried. And Easter will not hit home for you and I until we have tarried and been clothed with power from on high. You know, in, in Revelation, like something like Easter, you know, it's, you know, the Shrek, ogres are like onions. They have layers, Right? This is what this this is what Easter has layers. Being filled with the Spirit has layers. Right? Revelation has layers. Right? There's deeper, deeper, deeper. And I believe right now, this Cairo season, it's about God taking the church deeper than we've been before. Right? Deeper. Right? He, he's giving us hope. Like it's it's today. It's for you. It's happening. But we have to wait. And there's key components to the waiting, right? Waiting, it involves tarrying in prayer. We see in Acts, they gather in an upper room and for 10 days, they do one thing, which is wait on God and seek him in one accord, right? 10 days. We're not talking about 10 years. We're not talking about even 10 months. It was 10 days of waiting on God in prayer clothed with power on high that transformed the Mediterranean world. 10 days. Talk about a return on investment. 10 days gripped them with the spirit of God in a way that we are still reading of what took place. 10 days of concentrated waiting. I want to, I just feel the spirit of the Lord on this is that this, the spirit of prayer, God wants to fall on his church. He wants to fall on willing hearts with a spirit of prayer. And that this season, whether it be the next 10 days or the next 50 days or however long it be, that this be a season of concentrated prayer unlike any other that you've ever experienced in your entire life. Why not now? Why not you? There's a young man named Evan Roberts, had a group of people all uh, in their 20s some early 30s, I believe, they were in Wales in the early 1900s, and a spirit of prayer fell on them, and they tarried in prayer, did nothing else. They just tarried in prayer together, 
And God fell with an outpouring on the nation of Wales where they saw 100,000 people over the course of the next like six to nine months to the point that the soccer stadiums were shut down because no one was going to the games because they were going to church. Right? They, they, they had to retrain the mules in the, in the coal mines because they had trained the mules to respond to cuss words and nobody would cuss anymore. They would have spontaneous church services in the middle of the night where people would get all... Uh, simultaneously awoken up by the Spirit of God and would meet each other in the town streets singing hymns unto God, walking to the church in the middle of the night because a group of people tarried in prayer. What would God do if his church tarried? What would he do? What could he do in your life if you spent 10 days in prayer? I promise you it would be profound. I promise you. Like, it's like a guaranteed return on your investment, right? Everyone's so concerned right now with the ROI on their stock market, right? Why aren't we more concerned with the ROI on our time that we give seeking the Lord and waiting on him in prayer? What is the pearl of great price? What is eternal of this life? You tarry on prayer, you'll be clothed with power from on high and that power will exude from you and you will transform the world. It's your destiny, it's your birthright, it's your inheritance, it's what you were created to do. All right, but there's, there's one big thing and this is, this is honestly, it's been seven years of pastoral ministry for me next month. And I have heard a lot of excuses of why you can't have a dynamic prayer life. And I've seen, basically it comes down to this, is everyone wants to figure out how we can find the shortcut to a dynamic prayer life with Jesus. Like, give me some tricks. Give me some tips. Give me, like, how, you know, and this is the truth with prayer. It takes time. That's it. It takes time. If you will spend time you will learn how to pray, and if you will learn how to pray, you'll be intimate with Jesus, and if you'll be intimate with Jesus, the Spirit of God will produce a fruitfulness through your life that you cannot ask or imagine. It's that, that's, that's Christianity. You want to know me. I want you to know me. Just slow down so you can know me. Like, I, know me. This resurrected Jesus wants you to know him. Right? But the idols in this land are busyness, and we have neglected the Sabbath so much so that we don't even know what it means to rest anymore. And God is slowing us down, but he's doing it with so much hope in his heart. He's inviting us to tarry. There was a time in my life, I, I, my, my prayer life was fairly mediocre, I wouldn't say it was terrible, but it was fairly mediocre, if I was being honest with you now looking at it. I had a divine appointment, and uh, we ended up sharing our testimonies with this man. He was a few years older than me, and he looked at me, and he said, I, I don't really invite people to do this with me, but I feel like I'm supposed to invite you to come and start praying with me at 5 a.m. I was 18 years old, maybe 19 at the time, and uh, something inside of me as he was speaking was like, really? 5 a.m.? I was like, well, where's it at? Told me. It was about a 20-minute walk from my dorm up a hillside. But something in me left, and I said, okay. And I started waking up my alarm at 4.30 in the morning 
I'd take a shower, walk up the hill, and I'd spend two to three hours in prayer. And honestly, it hasn't been the exact same every day since, but for the last 10 years, that's essentially been the most fundamental part of my life, is that I I seek him, I want him, I yearn for him, I hunger for him. And this is the truth. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Your spirit is yearning for Jesus, right? And we make a lot of excuses of why we can't seek him fervently and why we can't linger long in his presence. But if you look back when you're 75 years old, 85 years old, 90 years old, you're not going to look back and say, man, I really am happy that I spent those extra 90 minutes every morning sleeping. You will not regret like you won't be happy about that. You'll look back, you won't, and you you don't you look back and say, I had so much time. Like, what was I so what was so important with my time that I had that I neglected waiting, that I never tarried, that I never sat long enough, sat through the disturbance, sat through the tension, sat through and pressed through. Right? We have to press through. This is not a cakewalk because we have inherited a life of sin. We've inherited a world that's so broken that we're learning a new world in prayer. God is discipling us through prayer in a new way of living life. That's why we have to tarry. We're not ready to receive what he wants to give to us where we are. So we have to go on an inner journey. There's more movement that takes takes place inside of a man when he waits on the Lord than anything we could create with all our striving. When we tarry on God, God moves mountains on the inside of us. He clears the threshing floor so that he can establish the temple of Shekinah on the inside of the heart of man. But we will never know the depths of that mystery unless we tarry. We have to tarry on God. He is the pearl. He is the treasure in the field. We have to tarry. We have to seek him and say, I will give my time. And right now, more than any other time, You have the leisure. You have the space. Don't waste what you've been given in this season. Easter morning is about the hope of heaven that if you will tarry, I will fill you with my spirit and I will consume you with divine power and I will turn all things to good and I will make all things new and I will use you to be an instrument through which my kingdom comes and I will turn the world upside down through your mouth and through your hands and through your love. But Easter evening was the instruction to tarry, wait, Seek, press in, sit. And they tarried. And God was faithful. He was true to the hope that he put in their hearts. He was faithful to his promise. And he consumed them. God has a greater dispensation of grace for you. He has more power for you. He has more anointing for you. There is a a place within that he is calling you. Come away with me. Let me take you to the depths of the interior and show you the riches of my love. The man who is the father of monasticism, his name's St. Anthony of the desert. He was born in Egypt and he spent years pursuing God in solitude, desolate places. 
And there came a point because of the grace that came on him. The spirit was so heavy upon him that people would travel days to come and receive ministry to the point that he, that he had more ministry at this. He was living on this mountain by a river in Egypt, by the Nile. He was overwhelmed with the burden of ministry because so many people were coming and he tried to escape it. He went to get on a boat, go upstream to escape the pressure. And right as before he got on the boat, God stopped him and said, you're not going to find what you're looking for further upstream. He said, what you're seeking is the inner mountain. And God was speaking. He actually went to a, a physical inner mountain. But I believe, and he had to go through the Egyptian desert, and he found a mountain that had a stream, and it was his abiding place. And I believe that within each one of our hearts, there is an inner mountain. There is a place that God will meet with us. It's an abiding place where the nourishment of our, of our soul, where everything we need is found at that inner place. But between where we are and that inner mountain, there is a wilderness. There is a, a, a place that we have to push through, that we have to sojourn through. And most Christians, they get into the first 10, 20, 50 yards, maybe a mile or two of that wilderness. And it's like, oh, oh, no, I'm done. This is boring. This isn't, I don't feel all excited anymore. You know, like, I, you know, and, we, and that's okay. But many people stop and they turn out. No, let's just, let's go up river. Let's go find a new spot. Let's find, like, like, there's so many, you know, our world's always advertising. Come out here, come out here, come out here. But right now, is it time to tarry? So I want to invite you. Uh, just like I was invited, I felt like the Lord told me to do this earlier in the day. I've never done this. But I felt like just that man that I met with when I was 19 years old, he invited me to start praying every day at 5 a.m. I, I feel like I'm supposed to be Jesus' ambassador as, to you like he was to me that day and invite you to make early mornings in this season a sanctuary where you seek God. I want to invite you to actually allow God to speak to you about ways that you can seek him in ways that you never have before. I want to invite you to pursue Jesus with a way that may be labeled radical, may be labeled, you know, that seems silly. That's uns I'm not talking about this for the rest of your life. I'm talking about this right now in this season. I want to invite you to tarry with God. And I believe that if you'll tarry, you'll see the power of God f f touch you in your life in a way that you never have. I believe that God's in this is a season and the way that we're going to enter into the breakthrough, the way we're going to receive what God is wanting us to receive is if we will tarry as a church. I want to invite you, whether it's by yourself, if it's with your spouse, whatever it is, to pray. I believe there's a fervency of prayer that's a gift of grace that God wants to give that to pray in a way that you've never prayed before, that this literally be the season of, of, of tearing, of waiting on God like, we have, like you've never, ever waited before. I believe that if we'll be faithful and we'll say, yes, this isn't about works, this isn't performance, this isn't religious, this is an invitation from God, that God's saying, I, I'm just, you know, your spirit is willing your flesh is weak, right? It's the flesh that says, this is religious. That says this, right? The flesh makes up excuses. This isn't for me. That's not me. I'm not a morning person. I'm not a morning person either. Just ask Jackie, right? Not that we wake up together in the mornings, but she's seen me on enough. You know what I'm saying? Can I get an amen? We are virgins. Hallelujah. <laughs> Come on, baby. Praise God. Hallelujah. Woo!
But I want to invite you. I'm not a morning person. That's the point of this. I can hear my brother laughing right now, and he's not even here. I want you to tarry. Your flesh is the one that makes excuses. Your flesh is what tells you that's just for spiritual people. Your flesh says, you know, God doesn't know. It's not for spiritual people. It's for people that will tarry. So tarry. Your spirit is yearning for more. So tarry. Say yes and tarry and tarry and tarry. Walk into that wilderness and let God bring you to the inner mountain where you and him abide. Amen. So God, I thank you for what you're doing this Easter. We thank you. God, for just your intentionality in these days. And we thank you for the message of Easter morning as well as Easter evening. God, we thank you for the hope of heaven that Jesus Christ rose from the grave victorious and is now prophesying to every circumstance of the soul saying, I will turn this for good. And we also thank you for the message of Easter evening, God, that you are inviting us to tarry with you until we receive power from on high. Lord, I, I pray that you'd give us grace to slow down. And I pray, God, for a spirit of prayer to grip your church right now. God, every heart, if, if you're desiring this, I just want you to just, just open your heart before God. Ask him, just say, God, here I am. Just grip me with the spirit of prayer. Make me a house of prayer. May the fire on the altar of my heart never go out. Oh God, make me a house of prayer. God, make us a house of prayer. I ask Holy Spirit that the same, the same tenacity that consumed Jesus' heart as he tarried all night on the mountainside seeking his Father, God, that that same hunger will grip our hearts, God. I thank you that some listening to this, God, are gonna, I just see some of you burning through the night and actually praying all through the night. I see, I see God speaking in different ways. I see for some of you, it's long hours in the morning I see for some of you, it's morning, noon, and night. I see for some of you, it's, it, there, there's, there's, it's just, there's different forms of tarrying. But I see God speaking, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you will come, and you will grip us, Lord, and that we will tarry, God, that you will give us, a, just like you gave me when I was 19, to just say yes, God, that our spirit right now will reach out and say yes, and that you will nourish our spirit with grace, and that, that we will just be filled with a conviction to lead our soul and our body into the prayer closet morning after morning after morning after morning after morning, God, that you will actually build a holy momentum of prayer. I see some of you right now, it's like there's been a dam in your heart and I see the dam just breaking and God is releasing momentum from heaven that he's actually sweeping you into the momentum of the intercession of the spirit of God and that God is just building. I just see this prayer momentum building in our midst. God, just build us, grow us, forge us into a house of prayer, God, a people that tarry with one voice, with one accord, positioned to be clothed with power from on high. Spirit of God, we are yearning for the fulfillment of the promise. You 
are the promised helper. You are the promised one. And we cannot do what we've been called to do. We cannot see a nation transformed without your power exuding through our lives. And so we say, oh God, here we are. Here I am. Give us grace, God, to tarry. Give us a spirit of prayer that we can seek you, God, and it will be a joy. God, that there'll be a compelling, God, deeper than our emotions, deeper than our mind, God, deeper. God, our spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. God, put to death the flesh. Put to death the arguments of the flesh. Put to death the excuses of the flesh. Put to death the justifications of the flesh. Put to death every mindset that opposes the full-hearted pursuit from the bride of Christ pursuing the resurrected bridegroom, Jesus Christ, Lord. We just say yes and amen to the grace available. We say yes to Easter morning. We say yes to Easter evening. And we pray, God, that as we tarry, you will lead us to Pentecost in Jesus' name. And for Jesus' glory, we pray. Hallelujah and amen. God bless you all. Uh, We will be uh, posting later this week with um, prayer options. We'll have some form of morning prayer in the short future, so you can stay tuned for that. We do have an online prayer team that we would love to partner with you. Even if you just want to tell someone what's going on with your heart and say, will you pray with me, partner with me, you can click on the prayer request online, and we will reach out with you shortly. Uh, I love you all. I miss you deeply. And I can't wait to see you again face to face. But I know that as we tarry together in the Lord, we will actually experience a unity beyond what we've even known in person. So I love you. Happy Easter. And may God lead us in the season to come. Amen. Good night.